0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com.
1: And I remember um, thinking... That's Barb Cotton. That's that missing girl.
0: She was, I don't know, one of the kindest people I knew. But
1: mostly gentle and kind is what I remember about her.
0: You're listening to Dakota Spotlight. My name is James Walner. This is an update episode of season five, a better search for Barbara Cotton, who went missing in Williston, North Dakota in 1981. If you're unfamiliar with the story, there are 20 episodes ready for you to binge. So have a listen right now. That's season five of this podcast. In this episode, we're going to meet Jerry Martinez of Williston, North Dakota, who has a fascinating story to tell us. It's a story she's been telling for 41 years. To this day, Jerry remains confident that she saw Barbara Cotton in broad daylight in Williston, North Dakota in the weeks following the disappearance. When you have finished listening to this short episode, you'll ask yourself some questions. The most obvious one might seem to be, Did Jerry see Barbara Cotton, or was it just a case of mistaken identity? But as you will see, that's not even the most important question we will ask ourselves. What is more interesting, and maybe even more important, are questions about what happened to Jerry next, when all those years ago she told people what she had witnessed. What happened to her is incredibly telling, no matter if she saw Barbara Cotton or just someone who resembled her. Another question we'll ask ourselves is, if it was Barbara Cotton, what was she doing there? Recently I traveled to Williston, North Dakota to meet Jerry in person. We met at the hospital. That's the place she thinks she saw Barbara Cotton. Yeah, down here, and I would assume to the left. I don't know if there's anything to the right, even human We sat down at a table just a few feet from the spot of her sighting.
1: Uh, my name is Jerry Martinez. Uh, some people know me as Jerry Kiefler. Um, I grew up here in Williston. I was in seventh grade when Barb Cotton went missing. Uh, and then I remember it like it was yesterday. I grew up in Williston my entire life. I've li- lived here, um, went to school here. I raised three kids here. I know a lot of people and a lot of things in Williston and just have enjoyed my, my life here in Williston. I've worked here almost all my life.
0: In fact, she once worked for the police department.
1: I was a dispatcher there, I believe, back in 98, 99. Um, I was only there for about eight Eight months, I worked as a 911 uh, operator.
0: In the spring of 1981, when Barbara Cotton went missing, Jerry was just about to finish the seventh grade.
1: So Barb is a couple years older than me, and her sister Kathy would have been a year younger than me. Um, I grew up on 6th Avenue West, uh, as well as I believe the Cotton girls did too, but I was on the north end and they were on the south end, so we're about 12 blocks away from each other.
0: Hello dear listener, this is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes, get the episodes early, and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Now, I learned about Jerry's sighting a while ago. The reason you're only hearing about it now, as opposed to earlier in this podcast, are pretty simple though. First of all, when I became aware of this story, I wasn't in a place to tell it for all kinds of reasons. I wish I had reported on it right away, but hindsight is twenty twenty. Then a few months ago, when I was ready, it wasn't good timing for Jerry.
1: A while ago, um, I was going to uh, changed jobs, and one of the positions that I applied for was a position at the police department. And so I didn't want um, any of this to get in the way of you know me applying for a job there.
0: To be clear, Jerry told me that eventually, regardless if she got the job or not, she would come on the podcast and tell this story. She just didn't want the timing of all this to interfere with her process of getting a new job. I should note, Jerry does not work at the Williston Police Department today
1: because it's a small town and good old boy system and, you know, people know me and know other people. I mean, that's just the way it is. So I just never wanted to jeopardize any, anything like that.
0: But as I said, she's been telling the story most of her life.
1: Yeah, I've, I've never hit it. I've been telling this story since I was a kid. I've told friends from school. I've talked to Kathy about it. I have a good friend. Um, that is related to who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, So she knows about it. Um, I I told my mom, I've told everybody. So it's nothing that I haven't been telling since I was a young child.
0: In the late spring of 1981, Jerry was a volunteer at the hospital.
1: So a candy striper is somebody that comes in and volunteers at the hospital. Um, And we wore these red and white striped, uh, I should say vertically striped uniforms, we just went into people's rooms and got them water, drinks, uh, books. Uh, we had a little cart we carried around for different things on the cart. You know, you just kind of went in and um, helped people. You did your your volunteer work, and so.
0: Jerry uses milestones from her life to pinpoint the timing of her sighting.
1: Um, The reason why I know that it happened in 81 is because the following year um, I became a cheerleader. And so some of these other activities, like candy striping, I couldn't do just because of the commitment to being a cheerleader when I was in 8th grade.
0: Barbara Cotton went missing on April 11th. Jerry thinks her sighting was soon after that.
1: I was thinking it would have been like May, I mean, it could have been the very end of April, but I would say like May, right around in May, because I think the school year was ending, and I don't believe that I was a candy striper much after um, that school year. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty darn sure I was done when school was done.
0: When Jerry and the other candy stripers would take a break at the hospital, they would sometimes go to the vending machines near the main hospital entrance. There, they would grab a candy bar or a soda and take a break and then go back to work later. On the day of her sighting, that's exactly what Jerry did. She went to the vending machine to purchase something. She doesn't remember what it was she was getting from the machine.
1: But what I do remember is turning around, and as I started to walk out of where the vending machine is, so this little room that is still there today with vending machines of candy and soda, um, Barb walked right in front of me. I could have touched her. Barb Cotton. Yeah. And she walked from my left to my right. um, And she turned and looked at me and I kind of did that double take like, that's Barb Cotton. That's that missing girl. Like, like, there she is. There she goes. And I watched her walk all the way down the corridor to my right and then take a turn to the left at the end of the hall.
0: Now, the girl that Jerry witnessed walking past her was wearing street clothes, not a hospital gown. And due to the layout of the hospital and Jerry's positioning, she couldn't tell if Barbara just walked in the main entrance from outdoors or if she was walking from another wing of the hospital.
1: There's like a Y corridor here. So you have the door. She could have been coming, walking down towards me, the hall, and then kind of taking that right turn. or Yeah, right turn. Oh, for her, it would have been a left turn, yeah. But she would have turned down to the right, to her left, my right. It was unbelievable. I was aghast. I couldn't, it was, I was dumbfounded. I was um, excited. I thought, you know, there she is. She's not missing.
0: Jerry thought, wow, maybe they found her. She certainly hadn't heard that news. And back in 1981, news didn't travel quite as quickly as it does today.
1: Back then, we didn't have social media, so you don't know everything Right away right. like you do now and so going home and talking to my mom i thought you know maybe yeah maybe yeah. she was found
0: but jerry quickly understood that barb was still a missing person
1: went home and told my mom um that i had seen her and you know said you know, should i go you know to the police department should i tell somebody and you would have to understand my mom said no i really don't think that you should um my mom was a product of domestic violence, and my dad beat her, and she was really the kind of person that don't rock the boat, you know, don't get involved in other people's business. She was always that way, but I was never that way. I kind of went back and thought, geez, I wonder if it could have been Kathy. You know, Kathy looks so much like Barb. Um, They were beautiful girls, and, you know, you wonder, but I just keep going back to, no, it, it wasn't Kathy. You know, it just, it was Barb.
0: As I mentioned at the top of this episode, this story is about more than this sighting. It's about what happened next. And what happened next is incredibly interesting, regardless if Jerry saw Barbara Cotton or just someone who looked like Barbara. The important thing to remember is that at the time, and still to this day, actually, Barbara Cotton was still missing. Whereabouts unknown?
1: I believe I I went the very next day to the police department. And by by myself, yep. (laughs) I don't know. I think I've always had a sense of right and wrong since I've been really little and always very inquisitive and wanting to do the right thing. Um, And so to me, doing the right thing was, okay. well, I'm going to go into the police department.
0: Jerry's best friend at the time had an uncle who worked at the Williston Police Department, Ray Aton. In fact, he was the chief of police.
1: I knew that I wanted to talk to him because I figured since I knew somebody, you know, that knew him and I, I knew of him and, you know, whatnot. It's not like we sat down and had, you know, chit chats or whatever, I was young, but I knew who he was, he knew who I was. I thought by doing that, you know, um, he would listen and then take what I have to say and, you know, do his investigation, right? Um, but that's that's not what happened.
0: So, Jerry made her way to the Williston police station and told the desk why she was there. Ray Atoll, the chief of police, was summoned, and he came out to talk to her.
1: We went up to his office on the second floor, and um, just the two of us. And then I just told him, you know, that I had seen the missing girl, Barb Cotton, at the hospital. I was flabbergasted. I sat there like I had been... Well, I was being chewed out. Um, But, yeah, I mean, no, he was angry with me, that how dare I come in and say that I saw this missing girl when, you know, I didn't. And it's like, yes, I did. And again, it was that being dismissed and feeling like what I did, I should have been ashamed of what I did. And I believe that's what he said, you should be ashamed of yourself for coming in here and saying something like that. And... I I was just taken aback because I thought, here I'm doing my due diligence, you know, trying to help. Um, And I was totally shut down. I was dismissed and um, told to basically go home and not tell anybody that I had, you know, that I've seen her or told, you know, quit telling your story, basically.
0: So suddenly the question is not so much, was this a case of mistaken identity or not, but rather how could Chief of Police Ray Atoll be so confident that it was not Barbara?
1: Instead of this uh, elation and well, let's take out, down this information and corroborate it or whatnot, um, I was kind of, I was chast kind of, I was chastised. He was like you did not see her. You did not see that girl. And I'm like, yes, I did. I saw her. I was at the hospital. And he goes, no, you didn't. Um, you need to quit telling stories like this. You you can't be telling, you know, people this, you know, you're doing this for, what's the word I'm looking for? Attention. Um, you know, you're not doing the investigation any good.
0: As we might imagine, Jerry, who was a young teen at the time, was shocked.
1: It's kind of like being frozen. And then When I leave, then I get angry and then I cry. And then it's like, how dare, you know, this person do that to me? So, um, it was hard. I went home and told my mom about it. And of course, it was, well, you, I told you not to go in. (laughs) Um, but through the years, you know, I've always told, um, my friends about it, yeah. you know, people that knew Kathy about it. And I told you know my best friend about it, who was related to him. So like I said, it's not like I've ever hidden it, I've ever told anything different. It's been the same story for the last 40-some years. So I just wanted to help, and I'd seen the girl that was missing, so why wouldn't I come in and tell you that?
0: Ray Atoll is now deceased, and from what I've learned, he was very well-liked in the community, and people have fond memories of the man to this day. I asked Jerry if she was concerned about how she might be perceived in the community of Williston now, now that she's shared this story, not just with friends and police and family, but publicly on this podcast.
1: Well, I guess my thoughts on that are, I mean, I I get it in this town, especially it's a good old boy system and that's the way it's always been. And I just, I'm just telling my truth. I'm just telling the story that I've told. Since day one, I went into the police department and told it. So I'm not trying to um, rock the boat. I'm not trying to say Ray Tal did anything. I'm just telling you what happened to me, what I saw. Um, If you have a truth, it shouldn't matter who's involved. Like, you should tell your truth. You should speak your truth, and that's the way I've always been. There's nothing to gain from this other than the Cotton family finding out what happened to Barb and giving you another avenue to investigate. And I know that there could be backlash, but um, I think that the truth is more important than me getting a little backlash over something that happened 40-some years ago.
0: Of course, there are many other questions we can consider, like if Jerry did see Barbara, what business would she have had at the hospital in Williston in late April or May of 1981? There is one disturbing thought that comes to mind, which sheds an eerie cloak over Jerry's story. If you've listened to season five, you'll remember Frank J. De La Pena. De La Pena was working in Williston when Barbara went missing, and about a month later, he abducted and then murdered two young girls in Rawlings, Wyoming. He was apprehended, and then he hung himself in jail. But when Barb went missing, he was in Williston, living at a campsite in his van and trailer. A couple of weeks after Barb went missing, near the end of April, it seems he experienced some kind of mental and maybe physical breakdown. He was fired from his job after some kind of disturbance there, and he complained of a pressure in his head. He was checked into, or perhaps he checked himself into, the hospital due to this pressure in his head. On Saturday, May 2nd, 1981, he was released from the hospital. Three days later, he left Williston, drove to Wyoming, where he ultimately abducted and killed two girls after a full day of what seems to have been a desperate attempt to abduct people under the guise of giving away a puppy. So, Frank de la Pena was at the hospital in late April and early May 81, which is the time frame Jerry places her sighting of Barbara. Now, we don't know if Barbara Cotton ever met this man, but Jerry's story leaves some room for speculation. Was Barb there to meet Frank de la Pena? Was she perhaps hiding out at his trailer at the campgrounds all that time? Again, all of this is pure speculation. Here's Jerry again.
1: Yeah, I just hope that somehow this helps. Um, this is just my truth, and I've been telling this truth since I was... I wasn't very old, but I was smart enough to know that somebody needed to be told. And I thought by, you know, going to the police department and telling... Um, the chief police that something would happen.
0: Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, researched, written, recorded, and edited by me, James Wollner. This season is dedicated to my daughters and to all daughters everywhere. Some music in this season, including the song you're listening to now, provided by North Dakota-born, former Wishick area resident and UND grad Isaac Turner of Kalamazoo, Michigan, and his seemingly infinite number of musical bands and projects. This band is named Wowza in Kalamazoo. We also heard a little from his bands Out and the Hollis Group. Search for Wowza, Out, and the Hollis Group on Bandcamp.com or see the links in the show notes. Thanks much, Isaac and friends. To learn more about Missing Kids, check out the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at missingkids.org. To contact me, shoot me an email at dakotaspotlight at gmail.com. If you're loving this season, please tell your friends in real life and on social media and give me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. And why not come and join us at the Dakota Spotlight Facebook group. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Season 5, A Better Search for Barbara. Be safe, stay warm, and see you next time.